Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating. We can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to. Or we can start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option and I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven-figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people and I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me. And I was like, so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test. And then I got a job with a major mortgage company. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me because I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with $0 in my bank account and just being so strong about money and so stressed about like is it going to come into my life do I what am I going to do about this should being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings and I think one of the big changes that I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account I still believed that I was abundant I still believed that money was going to flow into my life I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was going to come so I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario you can step into that next version of you and that next version of you that higher self version of you she's not that far away as you think i think she's just there's just garbage in the way and it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level results it's something i'm super passionate about and i hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like not necessarily like just re connecting to that path of what you want to do and reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger and what lights you up and what brings you joy. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes. Would love to connect with you on Instagram. My Instagram's the shit show of my 20s. DM me and love to have a conversation and feel free to share this with someone you know will love it. And you can also leave a review on iTunes. I would love that. Today's guest is Morielle. I love chatting with her. She has such a cool story. We go into her experience in the startup world and what inspired her to create her company, Mile. And what Mile does, what she does is help women find their MVP, which is their minimum viable product. So they find their MVP. And what this does is she helps with the consulting and how we can establish our MVP so that we can gain financial freedom. And we go into what your biggest self is. And we go into so many different things from being in a male-dominated industry to taking inventory of our relationships. And I love this interview. So excited for you guys to hear it. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Morial, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Love to start in your 20s. So tell me about any shit show moments you had, anything we might resonate with. Let's start there. 
Oh my God. Woo. Shit show of my twenties. I, early twenties, I was in the army. So I had decided after high school, instead of going to college, even though I, you know, managed to make my way into college somehow, which was like a miracle because I was almost kicked out of high school quite a few times. I just didn't feel like I belonged. Like there was this feeling that I just didn't belong with everyone. I never really felt like I belonged age-wise anyway to, to the group. So I had decided, I had spent some time during my childhood in Israel. And so I decided that I was going instead of to go to college, I was going to go and study for a year in Israel. And then I found myself deciding to volunteer for the army. So I was in the army for three years, which is mandatory service there. But when I was done with the army, I moved in with my first boyfriend who I met in the army to New York. And I guess that would have been the the first kind of real shit show because he and I were extremely close, like really, really best friends. But I could feel in my stomach that it wasn't like the relationship I was going to be in, but it took a really long time for me to just like say it and, and be really honest about it. And then finally, after I was, I just started dating all kinds of guys making, you know, weekends were completely with a bunch of girlfriends that used to come over and live with me. I had my own apartment and I was completely carefree in a way. So I think there were a lot of just weekends that I don't even remember. We used to be super, super drunk, come back to my apartment in the city. I would cook us meals and we all dated the whole, the three of us, we all just dated like the, the wrong, (laughs) we just systematically dated the wrong kind of person and found ourselves, you know, like waiting by the phone for some guy to message us, which is, I don't know. I hope people don't do that anymore, but I'm sure they still do. So I guess I was a little older. I was probably already 24 when I kind of like went into more of my, you know, messy years, I would call them. Um, What was it like for you, like being a woman in the army and being like in that male dominant space? Like, what was that like for you? What was that experience like? First of all, I've always, it's funny because I always end up in male dominant spaces. So the army specifically, there were lots of females because it was mandatory. So it wasn't, it was more, I think that the shock for me about the army wasn't like the male thing. It was that I, I didn't have any quiet time. I know it sounds so crazy, but like, I really need to this day, I need half an hour in the morning before everyone else wakes up to just sit and be quiet with my own thoughts. And in the army, you have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. So I used to wake up at three 30. You only got six hours of sleep. So I used to wake up half an hour early, go to this horrible machine that like made pretend coffee, get myself a coffee and sit down and just like, look at the stars for 30 minutes. So the hardest thing for me about the army was actually how much, how noisy it was. Like I never felt I had my own kind of like ability to just think on my own. And then later on, I ended up in very male dominated areas and, you know, I still am today. So that is something that I really think if, I mean, I think that for me, it works only because I never really cared about authority. I never cared about the fact that I was a woman and they were men, even though I was told plenty of times that I couldn't do something or that uh, 
like I'll, I'll never forget. I had this one meeting with like a, a bunch of men, of course, and some 50 something year old, I was in my twenties, by the way, he looked at me after I spoke and he goes, also beautiful. You're also beautiful and also smart. I'm not so sure that that's going to work out for you. Like he like literally said that. And I never really gave a shit about the fact that I always, I always really tried to use it to my advantage in all honesty. Like, I know that's not really like politically correct to say it, but I think that there's a real advantage to being the only woman. Uh, of course, there are times where it's really shitty just because I think that, especially as a mom, like I never, ever, tr- I never tell people at work, like if I have to do something with the kids, like maybe once in a while, you, I'll, I'll say it, but in general, like I'll just say, I can't be here. I have something else to do. I won't be like, I have something, you know, I have to be with the kids because in general, the men get to stay really late at work and, you know, they don't have to get home by a certain hour to put the kids to bed or give them a bath or whatever, unless they want to. And, you know, I wanted to always be able to pick up my son from school. And so those are other things that are really hard about it, but yeah. And were you always in that mindset that, oh, it's actually a benefit to me? And like, how did you leverage that? Or did that take time for you to realize that it was actually a strength? So I was one of those kids that was always called bossy. My, my, my mom, and you know, I, don't, I know she didn't do it on purpose, but she was always telling me not to be so powerful, not to be so bossy, not to be so dominating. For many years, you know, there was this whole conversation about how guys don't like it. So I do think it was always in my nature just to just see people for people. Like I didn't really buy into, and I know, again, this is not very politically correct, but in many ways, I do feel like the, the Me Too movement, even though I understand that it was necessary, like it's necessary, I do feel like it also has set some women back a bit because like, I want to know that I am good because I'm good. Not be, I don't want to be selected for things because I'm a woman. I want to be chosen because I'm the best at it and as a young you know even when I was a teenager I always felt and even growing up even like as a teenager and into my 20s like I just wanted to be known for having something really smart and critical to say and I paid a lot less attention to the fact that I was surrounded by groups of men all the time and I think the way that I realized that it worked to my advantage was there is a sensitivity, like an emotional intelligence and EQ about women that especially you you notice it when it's funny, when things get really, really shitty in a certain situation, when there's a high pressure situation or something like at work happens and, and all of a sudden you have to, you know, like figure something out, like a deal is going badly or something. Where, where men are so supposedly like really calm most of the time in shit show situations in business, they're not. And many times I've brought like that female energy of let's just stop. Let's just take a second here. Think about what we want to do. Nothing has to be done today. And the response is always super positive. Like people kind of like want to lean into that and they like having that kind of, you know, femininity or whatever that female vibe around. So it's okay for me. Going back to going into a lot of the wrong relationships at that time, did you realize they were the wrong relationships or were you only able to realize that going backwards? Such a good question. There's one relationship that I got into specifically, which was probably the worst of them. It was a really bad relationship. It was really destructive and toxic. And I knew 
I knew that I was going for it. And I verbalized it to a friend of mine. I was 30, by the way, I had just turned 30. I was sure that by the time I was 30, I was already going to be, you know, like with my partner for life or, and I wasn't. And I met this barista, this coffee, this guy that made coffee, you know, underneath the apartment where I was living. I was already very serious into my work and school and he had never finished high school and he was very, very poor and very dark. Like he was a very dark person. And I knew we went, we were out at a club one night and he like was dancing with me or whatever. And I called my friend afterwards and I said, I know I'm about to get into something that's going to be very bad for me and I'm going for it. I'm going to do it anyway. So some of them, some, you know, there was one other that was probably really bad that I didn't know, but, but there were situations where I knew and it was, it was a bad, it was a very dark year, but it was what I had needed in order to be in the relationship that I am today. So I knew, I knew, I knew. The best thing, I mean, if I can just continue on that with relationships, if that's yeah. okay. When, when I managed to finally get my way out and I was, just so you know how bad it was, I was like the skinniest, skinniest, skinniest I've ever been. I wasn't eating. I was like a friend saw me and she said, you know, you don't even look like you have life in you anymore. Like that's how destructive the relationship was. It was really, really bad. I wasn't in touch with my family. My father wasn't speaking to me because he wanted me to end it. Like it was a, you know, one of those, one of those like dramas that should have been made into a movie. When I finally managed to get out of the relationship and when I say get out, I had to like claw my way out. He was on my phone bill. I had to cut him off the phone and I had to like block him and I got on a plane and I left for, for like a few months. That's how bad it was. When I got back and he, he wanted to get back together, by then I had already, you know, managed to know that this was very bad for me. So I didn't go back to it. But what I wanted to share was I started hanging out with this guy in, in Denmark. I went to Denmark and I met this guy, really nice guy. And before I got there, he called me and he said, do you want me to put anything in the fridge, you know, that you like or and I was so starving for any kind of like positive attention from a guy. Like I thought it was the nice thing in the world that someone was asking me if I wanted something special in the fridge. And we spent two weeks together and I was planning on like having a long distance relationship with him. And he didn't want to have a long distance relationship, but he wanted to travel with me. I was going away and he to, to, to work and he wanted to come and hang out with me for two weeks. There were a few people around me who were like, let him go with you, you know, just figure it out and go with the flow and you don't always have to know. And I was like, you know, if he knows that he doesn't want to have a long distance relationship with me, then I'm going to be blocking my energy for someone else to come in if by chance I'll meet them on this trip. And so I called him and I'm so thankful for him. I really should send him an email and say, thank you. I called him and I was like, look, if you're not sure whether or not you want to be in a relationship with me, then come for sure. We'll have a lot of fun. But, but if you know that you don't want to be in a relationship, then I'd appreciate it if you let me know. And he said, you know what? Let me think about it. And he called me 24 hours later. And I was like the longest 24 hours ever. And he said, I have to be honest with you. I know that I'm not going to want to be in a relationship with you. And I said, thank you. And he said, wow, you're not upset with me. And I said, no, I'm really thankful. I never spoke to him again. And I know it sounds super corny, but that was the trip where I met my 
my, my husband. So I really do believe in not holding on to energetic ties that are not good for us. I think it does stop, you know, the universe from sending us what, what it is that we really want to manifest. And where did you meet your husband? He was living in New York and I was, I was not, I wasn't living in New York. He was living in New York. And also this was not like a love at first sight story at all. He was, he was definitely not the kind of person in the beginning that I thought I would end up with, but he was nice, really kind and healthy and showed up all the time. And there were no games. He, whatever he said, whenever he said he would be there, he was always there. He was completely trustworthy. And I felt that my heart, which had been, I like get teary when I like think about it because I had been yearning in my twenties to be loved and to give my heart to someone in the way that I wanted to, in the way that I kind of dreamt of. And I knew that I could put my heart in his hands and in his, in his, just in his life and he would take care of it. And that for me was more important than, you know, whether or not I was like madly in love with him, can't eat, can't sleep. Like I didn't have any of that. It was very, very much like a, a decision from the core of me that knew that this was the right partner for me for my life. And did that love grow over time or was there something in you that just let you know, like, I should give this more of like time, like I should just cut this off right now, even though I don't feel like madly, like, you know, head over heels. I knew that our love would grow over time. I knew it. I don't know how to explain that I knew it, but when I, when I, the first few weeks, because we did have to do long distance for a bit. The first few weeks when I would talk to him about my, talk to my friends about him, I always said to them, this is the kind of love that's going to grow over time. The kind of, you know, this relationship, it's not, it's not, um, it was very different than a lot of what my friends were experiencing with their boyfriends. You know, this like crazy explosion of emotions. And there was this silence. There was this quiet. And last night, by the way, we went out on a date and one thing about the two of us, like I want to go out on dates with him to be quiet sometimes. Like I can be silent around him in a way that I've never been able to be quiet around anyone. It's just very whole. You know, I don't know if you ever feel that way about when you're with someone, you could tell a lot about how much you're able to be kind of quiet around them. And it has, it's grown a lot. It was, it, we went through a lot of very, very, very challenging times in the first few years, but which is something I think happens when you meet someone when you're a little older, as opposed to in your 20s, by the way. Like I, I know plenty of people that met their partners in their 20s and they also have certain struggles, but there's definitely a particular type of effort that it takes when you're older to combine your lives in a way that feels that you're not losing yourself that I think people, you know, have to deal with when they meet someone in their 30s and 40s and older than that. And being like more of like an alpha female, is there any like dating tips you have for someone who's maybe the same way and they're very like dominant and they're very like, they know exactly what they want and they don't want to be overpowering or they're worried about being too much or something like that? I always worried about being too much. It was totally a voice in my head, but it still is sometimes. I think that having the ability to laugh at yourself and not taking yourself so seriously mitigates 
balances a lot of the alpha type, you know, shit that we're, that you're like the, the, that kind of noise. I think that one of the things that I always had was I always wanted to like be silly and have fun too. Even though I had super opinionated and very powerful. And I know that when I walk into a room, I've heard this before, like my energy is felt and people know that I'm there and I'm outspoken. And, but I'm also very, very kind to people. And I listen when people are talking to me. I care a lot, like what someone has to say. And I can be like really fun and silly. And I think that, and the other thing is, by the way, if a guy can't handle your biggest self, he's definitely not the guy for you. Like it doesn't, you, we don't need to adjust ourselves or bend over or, you know, shrug our shoulders or mold ourselves into any relationship, not just with a guy, in my opinion, a friendship, family, like work, I have another opinion about, but you, I think people need to realize that the goal is to find someone who wants you to be even bigger than you are when you meet them, like your biggest self. So that's the advice. The advice is if you are with, if you see any signals that you're with someone who's trying to shrink you in any way, done, move on. Don't waste time. And can we go back to like, when you were younger and you're more of like an old soul, did you figure, did you find that you had any trouble like getting into relationships with guys your same age or getting into friendships with um, girls who don't think necessarily the same way? Did you ever find yourself having to reach to like maybe like an older age bracket or like a different type of person in order to create those relationships? Yes, yes. Amen, amen, amen. All of the above. I did not get into a relationship with a guy until I was in my, uh, until I was 20. My first boyfriend, I was 20 years old. So I explained it like when I was younger, I explained it. I was extremely overweight. I was like obese in high school. I had eating disorders. I was depressed. I was super unhappy, partially because I always felt that I didn't belong So it was pretty, as far as the guys were concerned, like it was kind of easy for myself to distance myself from them. Cause like, you know, I always felt so ugly and so unwanted and unloved and unattractive and just really negative about myself. And with girls, I always had a hard time making friends always. Like there were always, I always had one or two good friends that were kind of also not necessarily older souls, but at the perimeters of like the social scene like they weren't never like the popular girls or and I still have a very hard time I have to say not because of me anymore not because I feel insecure but because it's hard for me to relate to people many people my age so I was always friends upwards I was always like friends with the camp counselors I always had you know, like I was friends with like some of my mom's friends, I would want to sit down and hang out with them and talk to them. Even like my grandma, I would want to sit down and talk to her friends. Like I found people my age to be so boring. No, like really just, I had hardly had anything to talk to them about. I was reading, you know, before like Eckhart Tolle or any, the power of now, any of these books like became really, really famous. Like I was so into personal growth from such a young age. Like I wanted to talk about, I was always like the psychologist too, by the way. It's so funny now that I'm thinking about it. I haven't thought about it in such a long time. 
people are, were always like coming to me for advice about life and about relate. I don't know what whatever they were coming to talk to me about. But then again, they wouldn't really want me as their friend. So it was kind of like they wanted to have me around to talk to, but they didn't want to like have me around to hang out with. And what do you think like creates an old soul? Like, do you think old souls are just created that way? Or you think it's something that like evolves over time? Or I think we're born old souls. I think that it's our spirit. Like when you think about old soul, you know, it means there's, there's wisdom. There's something that's, that's wiser about you than people around you. And that's called an old soul, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe we've come, you know, if you believe in reincarnation or, in, you know, that this isn't just a one-time experience, this life, which I don't know, but um, I, 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 I look, I can just tell you this. I look at my son who's five. He's an old soul. He's way beyond his years. He has even higher emotional intelligence than I think I do. And I have pretty high. And I think one of the main goals of my motherhood with him is to make sure he knows that that's perfect. Like to make sure that he knows that that's, let's make it even bigger. Let's, let's give it even more space, you know, not to try and shrink that in any way, even though I know that that's going to be difficult for him because I know that I can see it already in his five. He will have a hard time because other kids are way, way behind as far as like their emotional intelligence is concerned. And I think he might have a hard time with it, but that's okay. It's better that he feels like himself and has a hard time with it than not being himself. And can you go into um, recently before you were talking about you've been like cleaning up your relationships and what has cleaning up your relationships and friendships look like for you? And any advice for someone who's maybe taking inventory and wants to do a cleanup soon? Yeah, taking inventory is a really good way of putting it. So I'm the kind of person that gives, I don't know, you know, 200, 300% of myself to any relationship including my friendships. And I don't know how to be different. That, like, I just, I, for, you know, first of all, I don't know how to be any different. And at this point, I don't want to be any different. I just really want to be myself. So what's happened over the years, every, every, it feels like with, as you grow and you learn and you evolve, it, you know, it, there, there's, another, there's another job to do as far as inventory is concerned. And you know how there are those people that you've had around you for a really long time and it's nice to know that they're there because they they hold like a piece of your past and that's fine if they're not eating up at your energy I don't necessarily have something against it but clean up for me today means paying attention to being first of all being very very much in touch with what it is that I'm trying to achieve what I'm focused on right now in my life and we can we don't have to align necessarily. We all don't have to be focused on the same things, but I don't have time or a desire to be involved with anything that's gossip oriented. I don't have a desire to be mending other people's relationships in that way. I really want to be involved with people who take responsibility for themselves. So I think that that's the the stage of inventory that I'm at is people that don't take responsibility for themselves. I just don't have the desire to be engaging with that anymore. I want to be having two-way relationships where 
I show up and you show up and I might do things that are annoying and you'll tell me and you might do things that are annoying and I'll tell you and then we move on you know there's like this process of not being stuck so the advice that I have is first of all to understand the importance of inventory and again it goes back to my personal belief that the magic that's waiting for us out there needs space manifesting this whole you know creating the life that we want demands us to be uncomfortable at times but also willing to let other things go to create room for the things that we want for the people that we want for the opportunities that we want for it's not that we have I don't think we don't have just like endless capacity to keep old energies around and old ways of thinking and people that don't that aren't in sync with our like fundamental beliefs. And then it just happens. Like you have to be able to be brave enough to say that this doesn't, this relationship doesn't work for me anymore. I'm, I'm yearning for something different and jump, you know, and do it with kindness if you can. And with like respect to the other person, but not to stick around for the wrong reasons. And in your process of like taking inventory and clean that, did you have any scarcity come up for you just cause it's there? It's been there for a while as scarcity, like any scarcity about like, it's there, it's been there for a while. We have such a long relationship. I don't want to mess this up. Uh, what if I'm being rude or like, is there actually better out there? Or is that, am I being too harsh? Do you have any of that come up for you? Not with friends, not with friends. For me, it's not hard to, you know, the, my good friends have, have been my good friends for years now and they'll, they're not going anywhere. Like they evolve, we evolve together. I'll tell you where it's really hard. It's really hard with family. It's really hard with family. There's this like fundamental belief that because your family, like they're never going anywhere, you know, like no matter what you do, we'll always be there for each other. And, and maybe if you asked me this in a year from now, I'd find it different, but because it's really like something I've been, that's been on my heart a lot in the last few months. I think that even with family, it's okay to clean up. I, I'm not, I don't mean not speak, but I mean, we have the right and the responsibility to ourselves and our own growth first. And the hardest thing for me has been to, to be very direct about my boundaries with close family members. And, and that's hard because you know, they're not, they're not used to that version of me, I think in many ways. And it's important for me. So it's lonely. It's def that's, it's a, that's the price, right? The price is, it's not without a price. It is, it is lonely. And I'm hoping that with time, you know, there's an adjustment that happens, but I can also tell you that it feels very authentic. It's like, I've worked so long, so many years since I'm a teenager since I was like 13 or 14 I would say at being closer to my authentic self that anything that takes me the tiniest bit away from there is too much do you know what I mean like anything that isn't moving me closer to being my most authentic my biggest self is just not worth it for me and that's my religion my religion is my god is happiness health and a life of purpose and being authentic to me. So if it means having to clean up sometimes with family, then that's what it means. And is there anything that helped you in establishing those boundaries with your family members? 
or communicating them? Like how you even like communicate those boundaries with those Very good therapist. I'm a huge believer in, in uh, therapy. I've been in therapy since I'm four, which is very early, but I've, I've, um, it's a, it's a very important relationship for me in my life to have a good therapist. So that's, I would say number one and number two, choosing the right partner. I mean it. I think my choice in my, in my husband who is very focused on boundaries, by the way, he has very, very healthy boundaries with probably even, you know, I think part of what he loves about being with me is maybe I've softened some of his boundaries, but those are the two major components and, and having, so therapist, whoever you're, you know, if you're in a relationship, then I think your partner will have a major role and your career. Like my career for me has, is such a, it's my, it's, it's such a grounding force. It's, it's, it's such a relationship of its own that it really helps me focus on showing up for it. Like as my, again, as my best self. So, yeah. I, w- I want to say like, there's a part of my mind that wants to say my kids, but the truth is it's not like, I just want to say my kids. Cause I think that that's what you're supposed to say, but my kids are separate from it. You know, those are, those are the things. What are some things like that you think we should like, when we're looking for that partner, what things do you think we should look for or what things really stand out to you in a partner? I think it's really important to see what kind of a friend they are to their friends. Notice their friendships, the quality not the quantity, the quality of their friendships. How do they show up for their friend? How loyal are they to their friends? There's a lot you can learn there. Much more, I think, than what kind of kid they are, okay? Like a lot of people are like, are they a good son? Or I don't think that that's actually what matters so much. That stuff is theirs, you know? I think that really, really notice their work ethic. Do they, uh, you know, do they do they have ambition? Do they, do they want to, doesn't matter what the, what the work is it matters that they show up I guess what I'm saying is pay attention to how they show up for their in their life and you can it's something you can observe in the beginning because there's a hell of a lot of stuff that you don't know but you can definitely ask questions about their friends and get to know that a little bit more and they'll never like one of the things about my husband again is he is such a good friend to his friends you know he really is so loyal and if you're, if you're someone that's like insecure about someone cheating on you, I mean, I was cheated on before. So that was something that was really hard for me. One of the things that always calmed me down was, and I know it's not the same thing, but he's such a loyal friend that it was so hard for me to imagine how he would ever not be loyal to me, like as a friend. So um, that's, that's a huge thing. And the other thing is how they listen to you, how, how, do they, again, it's a showing up question, but I have never had one argument with my husband and we've had lots of arguments where he doesn't show up for the argument. Like he'll be really annoying and we can get into a fight because he won't agree with me, but he has never, ever not, if I've ever said I need to talk about something, you know, unless it was like at one o'clock in the morning and he was like, let's, let's wait till tomorrow. I have to get up for work. He's never said I'm not interested in talking about it. So what else can I give advice for looking for? Oh, I'm a one. I think one of the biggest lessons of my twenties is believe people when they say stuff to you, you know, if someone says I'm no good for you, if someone says I was always looking to fix people. So I was like, ah, it's okay. Even though they said, 
you know, he has some issues with his parents or he has some issues with alcohol or whatever. I was like, he'll, he'll come and be with me and then he'll be okay. He'll know what it's like to feel loved. He'll know what it's like to feel taken care of and believe people when they say, it. if you decide to go for it anyway, that's, you know, your business, but, but people don't say stuff for, for, for no reason. So definitely believe people. I'd love to go into like, when did like this concept of your biggest self come to you? And like for someone who doesn't know what their biggest self looks like, how can they start to like identify what that version of themselves looks like? Mm, such a good question. How, uh, the part about not being able to identify it. I, let me put it this way. I never had like a list of qualities that I was looking for in someone, but I knew what it would feel like. Okay. I knew I had more of a, of, a, of a dream about what I would feel like in that relationship. So whenever someone said to me, what are the qualities that you're looking for? You know, I'm tall. I dated people that were shorter and I'm a bigger girl. And I dated people that were skinnier and smarter. It's like, that was never it. It was about something in myself. And I think just, you know, I'm going to get to the bigger self, but it came to me the first moment where I can remember feeling like, your my bigger self which is really starts with being yourself right that's the foundation of it what does it mean to be yourself it's like another topic that's thrown up so I was almost kicked out of high school and the next step my my father was going to send me to military school and I went back to high school and this professor this professor I guess she was called a teacher in high school she was running an honors program and she asked me if I wanted to join and I looked at her like she was crazy because I, I assumed she knew that I was almost kicked out. And it was about like topics that were going on in the world. It was about, this specifically was about starvation. It was about genocide in, in Africa. And I, she let me join and I started doing the reading and I showed up for class and I had so many questions. It was like, it opened up and she called me into her office hours one day and she said, you know, Morial, you really are very good at this. This is, this is something that seems natural to you. You, you should think about pursuing a career in like world affairs or, and there was that moment where she recognized something in me that I felt like, wow, this is me. I do care about that stuff. So my point is, I do think that someone from the outside sometimes need to, needs to reflect something to you so that you can recognize it in yourself. Cause you might feel it, but you do need that initial like response from the world to start building that up. And the biggest self came from years of shrinking myself, really. It came from the opposite, right? It came from like, like I was talking about dating before. It came from feeling that I wasn't that smart. I wasn't that attractive. I was always heavier, you know, like a whole list of things that I can't even remember right now. I, I was dominant and too powerful. And I tried to keep quiet sometimes so that I would be more feminine or like it just got too much. And I just felt like, almost kind of how you feel like you want to like break free you know you want to break free from all of that that thinking that weighs you down or from trying to be someone that you're not and I think that's where the biggest self for me came from it came from I don't want to make an effort to just be me I just I just want to wake up be myself flaws and all lead with the good stuff accept the not so great stuff and just there's potential that I know that I'm, I haven't reached yet. I'm working, you know, I hope I'll be working on it all of my life, but 
I, my biggest stuff is another way for me to say you're my most authentic self to be, to be constantly in touch with like, what's, what's in my heart and in my stomach. And any tips for anyone who doesn't know what that looks like for them? I mean, the sentence I can think of is I feel good when I, I feel valued when I, or I feel valued in situations where I I'm thinking out, you know, this is the first time I'm thinking about basically an exercise like you're asking for, but that's where I would start. I would start with asking myself, when I do blank, I feel happiest. When I am around blank type of people, I feel safest. Those, whatever that blank is, that's the beginning, I think, of finding your that that self. And then the job is to create more and more of those opportunities to show up that way. And I would also say that the one, the, the, the opposites of them. So I feel shittiest when I blank, right? Like when I'm around people that those are the, those are the noises to get rid of. Like that's the filter to create. That would be my advice is to start asking yourself and writing down those, those, kind of uh, sentences for, for yourself and seeing what shows up. And can you give me like the backstory around, I know you were in the radio and you shared a story on the radio that you were kind of conflicted about sharing due to um, different circumstances. Like, could you go into that story and give me like the background of like what happened? Yeah. Yes, sure. So I have a five-year-old son he's five now and when he, he was born in Israel and and I had postpartum depression when he was born that was self-diagnosed five years ago in Israel believe it or not which sounds completely backwards it was very taboo still to talk about not being madly in love with with your child like there was this belief there it, it exists in other places it's not just there but there's this belief that like when you have a baby it's a miracle and you see all you know all social media pr pretty much everything is about like the accessories and the pictures and it looks so like so much fun and it's not for every woman there's like there are a lot of women who struggle with depression after having a baby for all kinds of reasons and we don't have to get into it but I felt that it was very important for me to share my story with other with other women because I knew that it wasn't something that was spoken about and a few years later, I was invited to a very, very, very well-established radio program that was run by a doctor and, and a psychologist. And they were looking for women to talk about their experience with postpartum depression. And the truth of the matter is, I didn't even think twice about it. I just said, they asked and I said, yes. But what ended up happening was my husband and my mother-in-law, well, first of all, my husband was you know, he was like, basically saying, why is it that you have to go out and make this public? Like, why do you have to share this private story? And she, my mother-in-law, who I didn't even tell, I didn't even tell her I was doing it. She heard afterwards, she was really upset because her friends were going to find out. And, you know, generally, generationally, like that wasn't something that you did. And it was, so that was one reason that it was really hard because it created you know, a question in my mind, like, is this my story to tell? Is this only mine? You know, am I supposed to speak to someone before I like I share 
this experience because at the end of the day, he has a father and it's his kid too. That was number one. And number two, I really didn't want there to be a chance that like my son would, you know, one day grow up and find this recording somewhere and take it, you know, think that it was his fault or think that it was something. And it's like, you do, you, you know, you record podcasts or whatever it is that you record. And this is going to live on whether or not, you know, you know, who's going to watch it or not, it lives on. And it was, and I had to really ask myself, like, is, because there was a second part that we had to do. And I had to ask myself, like, is this something that I'm willing to do, even though it goes against pretty much what my husband wants. I knew it was embarrassing my mother-in-law and I was taking a chance that maybe one day my son would grow up and hear the program. And I knew I would obviously be able to have that conversation, but I went through with it and I did it. And it was really important for me to do. And it reached a lot of women who were very, very thankful for it. And until this day, like, I don't know how they still hear it, but they still write to me and basically to say thank you so much for being so authentic and sharing your truth like we needed to hear that and is there anything that you think really gave you that courage to share that story the courage came from from the pain of being so lonely like I did not want anyone else to ever feel what it was that I felt and if I had been exposed to that kind of conversation when I was going through it, it obviously wouldn't have taken away the pain, but it wouldn't have made me feel so alone. And I think that that's been one of the themes of my life so far, which is like, I have a real hunger for inclusion. And I was always, you know, like speaking up for people that were mistreated in any way. And, and, and I always wanted to make things right. And I just don't believe that my life is just about me. Like, I know that it sounds funny when I say it because I'm, I do talk so much about our own personal growth, but like, there's no way that my experiences are just about me. Like they are also about being able to connect with you or with other women or with other men or just with human beings walking on this earth. And I just really wanted to be able to like reach out to one person if I could. That was the, that's where the courage came from. The courage came from not wanting to see other women suffer that way. And to speaking truth, you know, like the value of saying something that's real, that even though it goes against like what the norm quote unquote is just to, to make sure that there's a voice out there that's saying, hello, like not all situations are like this. It doesn't all have to be nice and rosy like this is also a valid experience it doesn't make you any less of a mom any less of a human being can can you go into what is mvp and how you came up with it yeah i'd love to so it's funny it's a funny segue <laughs> um i decided no it is because i so i had another baby uh 8 months ago and some person from work I would call him something else but he might watch this some person from work basically told me to stay on maternity leave pretty much and not in like a nice way like take a vacation relax stay on maternity leave more like not so sure it's a good idea for you to continue with this role kind of thing I was like okay let me pause which is a huge which is very important by the way I think in life to know when to just take a minute and kind of step back or step aside and evaluate your next move so I did and I thought to myself, what do I want to be doing? Like, 
what kind of business can I tailor to who I am and not the other way around, right? Not like have to like fit myself into some other business. And I decided to open a, a consulting company called Mile, um, which is basically, it's a consulting, it's a strategic consulting company for CEOs at very specific points of their business journeys. I, I accompany them for a project. And I've always loved to work with women. And I wanted to have a component of the business that was specifically targeted for women. And one of the things that I noticed a lot were over the years, people would come to me if they had like a little bit of a business idea that they had that they needed to kind of create into something to monetize, to be able to take, to make money from it. And I was always very good at it. Like I could sit with you in a very short amount of time, kind of figure out what you would be best at right now with what you have so that you can become financially independent or that you could move towards being financially independent. And financial independence for me is one of like my core, core, core beliefs, not because it has really little to do with money. It has more to do with the fact that I believe that financial independence is about freedom. It's about being able to make choices for ourselves. So I wanted to create a method or a program where I would meet women for a short amount of time, like a boot camp kind of program. And in the startup world, there's something called MVP, which is minimum viable product, which means basically the foundation product that you need in order to prove that your business can be successful and can make money. And I always said that people are startups. I always treated like small businesses and individuals like startups too. So why not borrow from, you know, that world and say, you're a startup. You have a minimum viable product that you can offer to the world in order to start making money. So I meet with women for three sessions. It's usually about two hours a session. They come to me with, they have, they basically need to come already with some idea. It doesn't have to be developed, but it has to have like some spark to it. And by the end of the three sessions, you have in your hands, your MVP and you can start right away making money from it. We build you a, you know, basically a business model that works within a very short amount of time. It's two sessions and then you go and take a break and then you come back a week later for the last session. So it's basically within a month you have in your hands, your ability to make money. And what is something that you are learning right now? What I'm learning right now has to do with the amount of time that it takes me to listen to myself. So I'm learning to listen much quicker and not to question whether or not I know what it is that I'm doing. So if it took me, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months before between when I felt something and when I acted on it, I'm making that amount of time shorter. What's something you're excited about right now? I'm really excited to get my bike tomorrow. I ordered a spinning bike three months ago and I haven't exercised in a very long time and it makes me feel very healthy to exercise and it's finally arriving tomorrow. So I'm excited about that. And other than my spinning bike, I'm really, really excited to build this business. I'm really excited to build Mile and to 
be doing what I think I was, I think I was born to be doing, which is working with people one-on-one to help their dreams come true as corny as it sounds. And what's something you're calling in right now? Tell me what calling in. Like manifesting. I have this dream that I'm going to create an intergenerational mentoring forum for women. And I'm collecting, I'm, I'm starting to call out for the leaders of this mentorship program into my life so that I can create that platform that I'm thinking of. And why is that so important to you? Did you have a mentor in your life like that? Or what, where did this like stem from? I've always had mentors. I'm a huge, huge believer in mentors they've been in my life from a very young age and they're still around. I have a tribe of mentors that I've grown with. And now about a few months ago, I decided that I wanted to find myself a mentor who was younger age-wise. You know, there's like a name for it out there. It's reverse mentoring, but that was very important for me. And there's a wisdom of the elder that I think has been forgotten in some way in like the way that we live our life, especially because they're not on social media. They're just not, they don't really, I mean, there are women in their sixties who are on social media, but obviously the older you get and people are living longer. And I love talking to people who are, you know, seniors and just old people. I think that they've lived life and they have a lot to teach. And I think that they get sidelined. And I also think people that are young get sidelined because they're young and they get dismissed. And I wanna try and create a bridge so that, you know, the older, the oldest generation and the youngest generation, obviously youngest not being too young, but can come together and we can all, um, we can all uh, share experiences and lessons. And just, I, I don't know, I just think that it, that's the way that we should be living our life intertwined as opposed to like, Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, like we're all people. And what's something that you learned from one of your mentors that really has helped guide you through your journey? Well, um, showing up, showing up, making sure that what you commit to and the people that you have in your life and the relationships that you're establishing, no matter what's going on, you can count on the fact that you will show up and they can count on that too. And if it's for a deadline at work or, you know, a friend calls and says, I know you're really busy, but I need to talk or, you know, your husband needs a vacation and you're exhausted, but you show up. So I think showing up has been a huge, huge lesson for me from a mentor at a young age. And if you can go back in time, and talk to your 20 year old self and advice would you give her it's so funny because I heard you ask this question to other people and like I didn't think it was going to make me so emotional when you asked me I really want to feel this answer I don't want to just say anything okay Mm -hmm. it's really important to me to be really really authentic with this one hold on just to hold on just to to ride like to ride the waves to know that sometimes things don't have to be so 
you don't have to figure everything out like at that moment though the things will reveal themselves in time you just have to ride that wave and get there but just to hold on to that trust it really does have to do with trust just trusting that things if you are a participant in life if you dance with life and you don't you know you're not passive to it you're not just an actor that goes along with kind of like whatever comes your way but you 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 know you you show up to to move with it then things will unveil themselves unravel as they should so trust thank you so much for doing this thank you thank you so much where can people find you online the business is well the my instagram account is your badass mvp it's to you because you're a mentor of mine and you came up with a very good name because I can't come up with that. And um, on morialotan.com is my, uh, my company's website. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.